This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 58. I'm Jim Garrity. Today is installment five of the Core Essential series on preparing your clients for their own depositions. Now, as you know, we cover many advanced topics on deposition issues in this podcast, but we've had many requests for a series on some of the basics, specifically getting our own clients ready for their depositions. Uh, so this is the fifth episode in the series. We'll probably have two or three more before we wrap it up. If you've got any questions or thoughts or your own tips you'd like us to share on getting clients ready for deposition, shoot them to us at depositionpodcast at jimgarritylaw.com. All right, let's get started. So we were going through a range of points to cover with your clients about the deposition process, how it works, what's going to happen, and so on. Let's pick up with the next tip. You'll want to stress to your clients that the judge in the case is going to read every word that your client testifies to. And here's how I explain it. I tell clients that it's really only in the criminal justice system that a litigant, uh, the defendant, is guaranteed the right to a trial. In other words, if a person is going to lose their liberty upon a verdict against them, the right to trial is guaranteed. But in virtually every other kind of case, including dog bites, car accidents, plane crashes, and so on, employment cases, the judge generally has the right to dismiss the case without a trial if the evidence doesn't appear strong enough to warrant opening the doors to the courthouse and bringing a jury in and tying up all those resources. So I say to the client, the judge often makes a determination in significant part on the testimony of the parties themselves. If the parties don't give testimony strong enough to justify a trial, then the odds are good that out the case goes, at least some of the claims or some of the defenses. More so for plaintiffs than defendants, but that's the basic rule of thumb. So I tell them, as I've said many times over the years, depositions are your trial. Fewer than 5% of all civil cases wind up in a courtroom for decision. So the only place most witnesses, most parties, will ever testify is in their deposition. So I stress to them that the judge will eventually get a transcript of the deposition and review every word that's said. And I say, look, it's useful to imagine that the judge is listening in on the phone as you testify. The judge isn't, of course, but it's a useful trick, a useful mental trick to think of it that way because in a very real way, I say, that is who you are talking to in your deposition. If the judge reviews your transcript and thinks your testimony is weak, unworthy of belief, speculative, the odds are good that you may lose some or all of your claims or defenses. You'll never see the inside of a courtroom. And that's why opposing lawyers will do everything they can to confuse you, trip you up, get you to lower your guard, or force admissions out of you that might not even be correct. Those lawyers know, I tell my clients, as all lawyers or litigators do, how the transcript will be used. And they will be throwing everything at you except the kitchen sink, maybe including the kitchen sink, to make sure that the transcript helps them and hurts you. So I explain the other ways that the transcript will be used as well. I let clients know it's not just the judge who's going to be using it. I say, you know, this isn't a criminal case, but I'm sure you've heard the expression that everything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And that's generally true. Once the deposition's over, everybody gets the transcript, a word-for-word -word account of what you said, 
And here's how it can be used. I say that first, the opposing lawyer may try to have your claims or your defenses thrown out at some point down the road. And I tell them that in doing so, the lawyer is going to rely heavily on your deposition testimony, your own words. That's why it's so important to pay attention. Lawyers may use even small snippets of your testimony to present to the judge and to use as a basis to have the case or the claims or defenses thrown out. I say that for opposing lawyers, that is a key function of your deposition, to develop it as a tool against you. And because you are a party in the lawsuit, your words matter more than most. If you offer damaging testimony, it is far more likely to hurt your case at its core than testimony offered by others that may have an obvious bias against you. Also, I tell clients, your deposition testimony can be read out loud to the jury at trial to make you look dishonest or incompetent. That's because opposing lawyers are allowed to tell the jury what you said in your deposition, especially if the testimony that you give on the stand is different from what you said in your deposition. I say to clients, if you give a different answer on the stand in court than you gave in a deposition, here's what's going to happen next. The opposing lawyers are going to hand you a copy of your deposition transcript while you're on the witness stand. They're going to ask you to turn to the page that has the same question that you just answered. And the lawyer is going to read the question out loud and then demand that you read to the jury your prior different answer that you gave in your deposition. And at that point, I tell clients, look, the jury may think that you can't keep your story straight. It may lose faith in your ability to tell the truth. And if that happens, if there are enough inconsistencies between your trial testimony and your deposition testimony, you're going to lose the case. And here's how I kind of wrap that up. I say, look, in virtually all civil trials, juries hear two very different versions of events. And because they weren't there, they really have no way to know who's right and who's wrong, except by deciding who's believable and who isn't. And that's where deposition testimony comes in. The party that has more inconsistencies between their trial testimony and what they said in the deposition is often the party that loses. All right, let's turn to pointers on how to answer questions as a general rule of thumb. So I say, let's talk about how to do that. The basic rule of thumb is this, I'll tell clients, listen very carefully to the question, pause to reflect, answer the question fully and completely, and then stop. I explained that a question that calls for a yes or no response is fully answered by a yes or a no answer. I tell them that a question that asks you to recount the conversation is fully answered when you have recounted the conversation. Once you've done that, stop. If the lawyer is pushing facts on you and asking you to agree with their facts or their characterizations, you must listen carefully and you must agree only if the facts or the characterizations assumed or built into the question are 100% accurate. If not, you must say so. And of course, if the lawyer asks you an open-ended question such as, tell me what happened, then you're free at that point to explain what happened using your own words and providing as much detail as you determine is necessary to fully answer the question. I also explained to clients that a deposition is not a social conversation in any sense of the word. 
So it's important to understand the difference. I say a chatty approach to answering deposition questions can get you into trouble. It's unlikely you will fully appreciate how certain questions are intended to trigger harmful answers. You must answer all questions truthfully, fully, and completely, but once you've given a complete answer, it's generally wise to stop talking. In a social conversation, for example, if I ask you if you have children, you might answer not only by telling me yes, but by telling me their names, how old they are, where they live, and what they're doing in life right now. That's normal in a social setting. In a deposition, if I ask you whether you have children, the full, complete, and correct answer is either yes or no. That's the approach to take. Your deposition is not the time to show everyone how smart you are or that you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the opposing lawyer. It's to answer questions put to you and when the questions are all done, to leave the room. I explained to clients that a fast pace in the asking of questions and the giving of answers generally favors the examiner, not the witness. That's because lawyers have as much time as you know to craft the questions that they want to ask. Witnesses, on the other hand, at best, may have five seconds or less to answer a question. So I stress to clients that it's critical that you listen very carefully to the questions and that you pause at least momentarily before answering. You don't score any points by answering questions at blinding speed. You lose points that way. Questions often have nuance. Sometimes the question is asking something very different from what you thought at first blush. So take a breath, pause, and then answer. Those pauses are your friend. The law doesn't require you to talk as fast as the opposing lawyer. As a rule of thumb, if you begin blurting out answers the second the lawyer finishes the question, you're probably getting hurt because it's a sign that you're not reflecting at all. I tell clients to listen very carefully to the preliminary instructions. The lawyer will ask you if you're taking any medications, if you slept well, if you are under stress or experiencing anything else that affects your ability to tell the truth. And perhaps more importantly, the lawyer is going to tell you that if you don't understand a question, you must say that you don't understand it. And if you go ahead and answer the question, the lawyer will explain. Now that you know you could ask for clarification, the lawyer will assume for all purposes that you understood the question. That goes back to what I said before. If you're not sure what a question means, you've got to ask the lawyer to rephrase it. If a lawyer tells you to ask for clarification if you're not sure, and at trial you attempt to avoid the impact of your deposition answer by for the first time saying you didn't understand the question, again, the lawyer is immediately going to read the question out loud in front of the jury where the lawyer told you to ask for clarification, and then he or she is going to ask you to read your answer where you said you would if you didn't understand it. And again, at that point, you start to lose more credibility points. I tell clients to answer questions fully and completely. I don't generally have a problem with this, but once in a great while, I will have a client who comes into the deposition prep sessions, at least, with a mindset that they're going to play word games uh, with lawyers or hold back information that is responsive to the questions. I don't tolerate that, and I'm sure you don't either. I tell clients that if a question calls for elaboration, yes or no is not a complete answer. But if the question does call for elaboration, 
And if the client fails to elaborate and provide all the information called for by the question, they may not be able to use the additional information later when the judge is debating whether to throw the case out or not. You know, that's the problem with uh, errata sheets or affidavits on summary judgment that go far beyond what clients have said in their depositions. And again, I tell clients, if you are allowed to expand on your answer at trial, the jury may again begin deducting credibility points against you if your answer is materially different. And here's something else I tell clients. I said, look, the judicial system in civil cases, at least, usually requires you to tell your story three times under oath. First, in interrogatories. Second, in deposition. Third, in trial, if it gets that far. It's a pretty clever system for ferreting out those who are telling the truth and those who aren't. If people aren't telling the truth, clients or witnesses, their stories are going to vary from occasion to occasion. That's why it's so important that your clients treat interrogatories seriously and answer them fully. Same in deposition. The clients need to understand that they will have told their tale three times under oath and their tale had better be consistent on each of those three occasions. It's like fishermen. Every time they tell a story again about how big the fish was that they caught, the fish gains another 10 pounds. By the time they've told the story the final time, it's the world's largest grouper. That ever-changing approach to storytelling does not work in the judicial system. All right, next, I tell clients that if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know. You don't have to feel guilty about that. Nobody thinks that you're being dishonest. Don't guess. Guesses count as real answers, even if they're wrong. And usually, even if you say you're guessing, the jury will presume that you had some factual basis for your guess. And if that guess is wrong in a harmful way, it's going to be used against you. So I tell clients, here are some telltale phrases that I may hear you use that if they're coming out of your mouth are a sign that you are obviously guessing or taking a stab at the answer. One, you begin your answer with, well, I really don't know, but I'd say, well, my thought is, you'd say what if you really don't know? Another expression I frequently hear, I'm not really sure, maybe a hundred. Third example, uh, if you give a full answer and then you say, but don't hold me to that. Well, of course people are gonna hold you to that, especially if your presumption or your judgment uh, is harmful. Or you start or end your answer with, well, I can't swear to it, but well you, well, you are swearing to it and you just swore to it. So I tell them, if you hear yourself using those phrases in testimony, try to remember and recalibrate, stop guessing. I tell my clients that I should never hear them say anything like that in their deposition. If I do, it means you're answering questions with guesses, not facts, and that's how cases are lost. I do let them know that sometimes lawyers will expressly invite them to guess, especially after the client says, I don't remember or I don't know. So say, for example, after you say, I don't remember something, I'll tell clients, the lawyer may immediately respond with, well, what's your best guess? Again, if you don't know, the correct answer is, I don't know. I tell clients, if you don't remember something, say so. There's no shame in being unable to remember something that took place sometime in the past. Sometimes, as I'm sure you've seen in your own depositions with your clients, sometimes clients are afraid that they'll look like they're lying if they say they don't remember or they don't know something. That, I suspect, is why they often guess. 
they feel like they have some obligation to come up with an answer, even if they don't actually know or remember the answer. So we've got to relieve them of that sense of obligation to take a wild guess at answers under oath. It's a very dangerous game for your case. You've got to give your clients the confidence to say they don't know when they don't know and that they don't remember when they don't remember. So sometimes I'll approach it with my clients like this. I'll say, look, if you knew the answer at some point in the past, but you don't remember at the moment, you can simply say, sitting here right now, I just don't remember. The opposing lawyer may get frustrated or may even think that you're pretending not to remember. And that's fine. Of course, you shouldn't ever pretend to suffer memory failure in response to any question. But if you legitimately don't remember at the moment you are asked, that's a legitimate answer. I don't care whether the opposing lawyer thinks you remember the answer or not. I only care that you answer fully and correctly about those things you remember and that you refrain from answering when you have no memory of the correct answer. In the same breath, though, I do caution clients against using I don't remember as a crutch. And I tell them this, you can't use I don't remember as a trick to avoid answering a question when you actually do remember the answer. Once you say I don't remember or I don't know, you may be stuck with those answers for the rest of the case, including the trial. And I stress this, that kind of answer can leave a hole in your case. That hole will be filled, I'll tell clients, in most circumstances by an opposing witness who will clearly recall the event, especially, sometimes it seems, if the opposing lawyer knows that you now cannot offer a different version of events. And believe me, that opposing witness's recollection will not be beneficial to you. And I say this as well, when a jury has to decide which version of an event to believe, and it has to choose between A, an opposing witness who gave a clear, specific answer, and B, you who said, I don't remember, who do you think gets the jury's vote? Right, the opponent. Holes in our case, created by lots of I don't knows and I don't remembers, can do tremendous damage. I tell clients, you are stuck with those answers, and it can get worse at trial if, all of a sudden, you now claim to remember the information that you said in your deposition you couldn't recall. All right, two more points in this episode and then we'll wrap up. I stress to clients that they should never change their answers under pressure. And here's what I tell them. I say, look, lawyers are generally only allowed to ask a question once. Do not change your answer just because a lawyer repeats the question. The same is true if the lawyer repeats the question and says something like this. Ms. Jones, are you telling us it's your sworn answer that, uh, as you know, lawyers will often use that as a tool to suggest to the witness that the witness may be perjuring themselves. Uh, once a witness has been sworn in, I never include that phrase. Are you telling us under oath or is it your sworn testimony or remember you're under oath? I never use those phrases in a question. I was in a trial in federal court once with a senior federal judge who ripped into a lawyer who included that phrase in just a single question in front of the jury. The judge's point was, look, there's no reason to believe that the witness has forgotten that they're under oath. And it was clear from the judge's comments that he thought that the use of that kind of phrase was an effort to bully or threaten the witness into changing their answer. Uh, this kind of tactic also includes situations where lawyers who wear glasses will sometimes remove their glasses in dramatic fashion 
as if the answer is a critical turning point in the case. Then after they pressure the client to try and say something different, they put their glasses back on and perhaps a few questions later, take them off again, still in a very dramatic fashion. If they don't wear glasses, sometimes you'll see lawyers put their pen down or their pad or whatever they're holding and ask the client, are you telling us under oath? So here's what I tell clients. I say, look, the court rules generally forbid lawyers from asking you the same question over and over. And that's because doing so is almost always an effort by a lawyer to get you to change your answers. Sometimes I see clients get nervous when a lawyer repeats a question. And sometimes I've seen witnesses, not my clients, but witnesses represented by other lawyers or who are unrepresented actually change their answers just because the question was asked a second time and because the lawyer you know, made the intonation about being under oath. Those witnesses can find themselves in deep trouble because they've now given two different answers to the same question and both can be read to the jury to imply either confusion or dishonesty. So I say, look, you should never change your answers unless you realize you made a legitimate mistake, which is unlikely. And I tell them, if I catch the opposing lawyer repeating the same question over and over again, I'll speak up and I'll take steps to bring that to a halt. I say, look, some lawyers will openly press you to change your answers. For example, if you say you don't remember something, the lawyer may respond immediately with a slightly different tack by saying, well, this is my only opportunity to question you before trial, so I've got to have an answer. If you need to take a break, that's fine, but I need you to answer the question. You know, fair enough. But I tell clients, if you don't remember, I don't remember is a complete answer and you've satisfied your obligation. So never concoct or change an answer under pressure from the opposing lawyer. Sometimes situations like this are caused by the failure of the opposing lawyers to properly prepare. Lawyers in most situations can easily anticipate that enough time has passed since key events that our clients are not likely to remember an event or a document from several years ago. In situations like that, what do I do? What should a lawyer do? Bring the documents with me to refresh the witness's memory or suffer the consequences if it's been long enough where the witness can legitimately say, I just don't remember. You're going to have to show me the document. But once in deposition, if the opposing lawyer hasn't constructed an examination with documents to refresh or some other method, the lawyer is either going to go away empty handed or may decide that pressuring you, I tell my clients, is a good alternative. So I can't say enough. Your obligation is to answer questions fully and completely at the moment you're asked. You're not required to have a perfect memory. All right, one last point, and then we will wrap up this episode. I talked just a little bit ago about preliminary instructions and the fact that many lawyers will tell witnesses that if you don't understand the question, please let me know. Here's how I tell clients to deal with that. I say, look, if you don't understand the question, say so and nothing else. And here's what I say. You should never answer a question when you're not sure what's being asked. You should only say that you don't understand the question. Then stop talking and wait for a rephrased question. You may not know why a lawyer is asking a given question, but you are entitled to know what the question is. If you don't understand the question, say so and then ask the lawyer to repeat it or reword it. What not to do? Don't reword the question yourself, such as, well, are you asking me this or are you asking me this other thing? If you reword the question, which may be better than the question that you were asked by the lawyer, 
the lawyer is now likely to insist that you answer both the questions you came up with, the one that you suggested and the lawyer's original question. So you've just turned one question into two, congratulations, and your rephrasing may actually do you more harm than what the lawyer was asking. So if you don't understand the question, say you don't understand it and wait for the lawyer to wind up and throw the pitch again. Fair enough? All right, that's it for today's episode. I think we've probably got two more Core Essentials series on preparing your client for deposition, and then we'll bring that series to a close. As always, thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day and go get them.